Bigger than cakes. Give me some more silence. Hello, welcome to Bigger Than Capes. I'm Zach. This week I'm joined by Will. How are you doing, Will? That's... <laughs> Howdy, buddy. I'm doing all right. How are you getting on? I was all right until that completely like <laughs> unnatural bit of introduction. Bit of a brain pause. Yeah. Just, just stopped for a second. It's, it's, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, yeah, I'm good. I, um, I feel like not a lot has happened in the last week. but Nope. Nope. Slowly things are starting to get some normalcy and i've uh i've done a few things that i couldn't have done a couple of weeks ago but um i'm not jumping back into like normal life yet yeah i um i, I just feel like it can be taken away from us at any minute if that... <laughs> not to be entirely paranoid but um no, i'm stepping back in slowly and cautiously it's been nice to see some friends though and to hang out and go Absolutely. outside um so yeah, you know, not not a terrible uh, week, but nope. just just quite a quiet week. Of, of course, it's been the hottest week ever, as I'm sure we've all. Oh man, it's been roasting. <laughs> um, it's been a bit a bit uh, greyer today, but uh, if the forecast is to be believed, we're in for a good weekend. Yeah, and I'm sure this is extremely dull. This is the most like British conversation, just like, <laughs> oh, ain't it warm? It's 98% um, of chit-chat is just how good slash bad the weather is. It's basically all we know. It's like we're, we're raised on discussing the weather when we can't think of anything else. Um, I I feel like I, I am where you were about a month ago, maybe two months ago, in that I've started watching Legend of Korra. Um, I'm about halfway through, and it's real, real good. Oh, it's real, real good. I, I still, I don't think it's quite as good as Avatar, but that might be just because it was first and, you know, I seeing it first had a big impact. Maybe if, maybe if I yeah. had seen them the other way around, it had been less so. I think Korra is animated to a really high standard. I think the yeah. occasional bits of CGI, but I think they blend it in very well. Um it seems to be that the CGI when it's things like airships or mm-hmm. boats, more yeah. than anything. Big machines and stuff. Yeah. Um, but I think the story is quite clever. Mm. It doesn't, it's not like dumbed down. I think it's quite complicated in some ways. And yeah, that's true. As ever, there's just loads of great characters that are really lovable. Yes. Um, Big fan of Pabu, the like fire ferret. Pabu's thing. superb. Um, doesn't really do a lot, but <laughs> boy, when he does. <laughs> I like uh, you get a couple of returning voice actors. Mm. Um, with is it supposed to be Zuko's grandson by that point? Because Zuko's yeah, now yeah. Fire Lord, or at least has been. Yeah, he's Lord Zuko now, and. And his grandson is on a ship, but is the same voice actor. Yes. Which was nice. I want to say he is Colonel, Captain, Lieutenant, 
Iro, some he's definitely Iro. I can't remember what rank he is. No, um, that's going to drive me mad. Corporal, Chief server, Iro, Emperor. No, um, I don't know. It'll come screaming back to me when it doesn't matter. Good um, stuff, and I think a cool expansion of the sort of uh, Avatar world. Yeah, definitely builds on Avatar in an interesting way, and kind of opens up some new ideas, which are pretty cool. Um, yeah, Who knows? Yeah. Maybe when I finished it, you know, we'll we'll do a Cora roundup thing. This is the kind of thing we often threaten with any animated series one or both of us watches, and uh, Cora well, blimey, we're doing a terrible job. Oh, that's what we'll call it. Yeah, I know. I thought of it and thought that this is why this is the one we'll make is because of that that Cause, pun because we've got a name for it already. <laughs> um, so. I feel like we've got a little bit of time to do some comic book news. If you've got some stuff you want to... can run through a couple of things. Let's um, see what we've got. This is in very early stages, but it's been announced that Seth Rogen is going to make a new animated Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film uh, cited for 2023. Turtles is one of those things that never really goes away. Like There's always something being made, whether it's comics or a yeah. different animated thing. But the four brothers and Splinter and, like, the various bad guys, I just think are such perfect archetypes of comic heroes and villains Mm. that I don't mind just seeing it over and over again. Like, I just really enjoy their dynamic. Yeah, I I think that's fair. It's Obviously, I am, you know, neck deep into TMNT at the moment, as um, has been well documented. Uh, Turtles animated series, I reckon. It's oh, well, animated film at least. I am for sure. And I think Seth Rogen's been at least partially behind uh, Preacher and the Boys TV yes. series adaptations, both of which I've enjoyed. So hopefully, this comes with a equally, you know, high high standard. Talking of uh, television and high standards, though, my next bit of news is that. Jupiter's legacy has been technically cancelled after the first season Mm. with Mark Miller saying that he might do something with the franchise again in the future. Feels like potentially a reboot. Uh, And has announced Super Crooks as the next TV show that's going to be made. Okay. Um, I don't think I've actually read Super Crooks. I'm aware of its existence. Me but... neither. Yeah, I'm vaguely aware of it. Um, but it seems like an unusual hard turn, maybe to some bad reaction. But they seem to have decided to just sort of can this version of Jupiter's Legacy and leave themselves the option to make it afresh in the future. Mm. Um, on one hand, it's a sort of refreshingly candid approach to <laughs> like comic stories because <laughs> this happens all the time and they try and cover it up with dumb dumb storylines rather than just saying you know what everybody hated it so we're just going to stop doing that and do something different um on the other hand it shows very little confidence in the miller netflix relationship this is true as a kind of early days i mean this is our first netflix adaptation um it's not an incredible sign is that um <laughs> doesn't feel great i mean i haven't finished it and i'll be honest now it's cancelled i'm not inclined to bother i'll do you one better i haven't started it 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's an interesting one because I I was kind of game for seeing what they would do with some of these Mark Miller properties, and um, I thought Jupiter's Legacy was probably one of the most promising ones, which seems like a bad sign all of a sudden. Um, but it's interesting. I um, So I, I talked to Angela a couple of weeks ago on an episode. And by a couple of weeks ago, it could, of course, be any time this year. Yeah, um, About The Tick. And The Tick was, what, 2016 to 2019? And I only watched it this year. And I feel like one of the biggest problems we get with superhero shows is that there's so many of them that sometimes they come out um, not necessarily at the time when you need them, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So maybe the fact that Jupiter's Legacy came out like when the hype for Invincible was all-consuming, like at least in the comic book fandom kind of world mm-hmm. i feel like people were super into invincible and maybe it just wasn't the ideal time to launch something else yeah i think there's a couple of things it's, it plays it too straight i think as where mm. the boys has a kind of quite vicious sideways look at superheroics. yes and yeah definitely invincible has again a slightly sort of twisted view of the tropes and turns a few things on its head while also celebrating a lot of the basic tropes of sort of superhero comics mm-hmm. um i think jupiter's legacy doesn't quite do either of those things um it paints the superheroes in a sort of relatively bad light but doesn't do so in a way which is thought-provoking or funny it's just you know they just <laughs> seem unlikable characters mm-hmm. um and yeah i think it's come out amongst a slew of other like high quality stuff definitely yeah maybe rested on its laurels that it thought well as long as it is superheroes you know people will watch it maybe they're right i feel like something that would have probably benefited that the first adaptation there's so many like miller world comics they didn't have to start with superheroes they could have gone for like magic order or was it Sharky the Bounty Hunter that was meant to have been greenlit for an adaptation before it had even come out? And that would have been a sci-fi thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, what I don't know is, does the deal encapsulate stuff that's already been made? Like uh, Kingsman, Wanted, Kick-Ass, can they make their own versions or spin-offs? I, I don't know where I heard this, so this could just be something that I've like dreamt up. But I'm fairly sure somewhere I have heard that there's meant to be like plans for Kingsman as a series and a Kickass series. So I don't know if they're going to be like continuations because obviously in comics there's been like ongoing Kickass stuff. Um, it's still going. New Hit Girl, new Kickass, new Jeff Lemire was involved at some point. And even that didn't lure me in. So. <laughs> keeps keeps trundling on, doesn't it? Yeah, no, there are enough superhero comics in this world for me to uh, yet not have to read it. Yes, that is entirely true. <laughs> um, it's interesting, though. I, I would like to think that the next go-around for a Miller World property will be a little bit more, I don't know, Diverse and not as let's do superheroes. Yeah, 
yeah, I, I would like to see him have some success because there are, there are properties of Miller that I do really like, and mm-hmm. a good Flash Gordon inspired adaptation of um, Starlight. Yeah, I think would be superb if that's done right. I think that could be really enjoyable. We've talked about this before. We're meant to be getting that now, right? That's that was announced. I, I'd heard. I think I've heard said rumor. <laughs> But I, um, I can't tell. I don't know if I don't know if that was actually confirmed or if we started that rumor and <laughs> yeah, maybe and we're now reporting on our own truth. Yeah, I think you <laughs> tweeted it. I read it, and then you know we believed it to be true. Um, not not beyond the realms. Let's be honest. But um, so you know, I I do. I hope they improve. I just thought it was an interesting uh, way to announce the cancellation of the show. Sort of not that. You know, often it's Netflix who cancel it. Um, it seems to come from Miller. Don't know. Interesting though. See yeah, how that pans out. It's an interesting, yeah, approach to it. If if Mark Miller's gone, bad enough of this. <laughs> call that a day. Um, on a slightly more surreal kind of note, um, there's been an announcement. I want to say like recently, like the third. So today, well, mm-hmm. today today for recording purposes, um, there's been an announcement from Image that Skybound Entertainment has partnered with Amit Publishing um, for the first ever Lego comic book deal. Yes, please. Um, there's not a lot of information, which is kind of annoying because I, I need to know more. Um I mean, it could be a potential rights nightmare. So does that come with everything that Lego already currently have rights to build? Are we going to get Lego Star Wars comics? Are we going to get Lego Marvel comics? Are we going to get Lego uh, Hobbit and Lord of the Rings comics? Or are they going to be, you know, based on the movies or Ninjago? Or I know know you don't have any of the details. I'm just going to keep asking (laughs) questions. (laughs) Just keep going and I'll just, like, you know. Technic, where a Porsche and a bike are best friends. Oh, can we get Bionicles? Oh, yes, please. Do you remember uh, <laughs> the toys and the company in TV series Crash Test Dummies? Yes. yes There's nothing to do with what we're talking about. It no. just popped into my head and I thought you might you might remember that. Um, I remember I remember it. I remember not really understanding, um, <laughs> which I, I guess is probably the message. Because one of them was like a baby, right? In like a push chair that would be violently launched out of the... Yeah, I don't know what that was getting the at. The point is, they were all like living crash test dummies, and the point of the toy was, is you'd... The cars would have like... The toy cars would have crumple zones, and then when you ran them into stuff, their extremities would just pop off into the air. I I just... In hindsight, it sounds worse than toys it was Toys are so time. weird. Yeah. Um... <laughs> To answer or try and answer your Lego questions, I feel like it is a licensing nightmare, and I feel like Image publishing Lego Batman comics seems like an unlikelihood. But I could see, like, yeah, maybe Ninjago or um, the the original characters from the Lego movie. So you know, Emma and Unikitty and Wild Style. Yeah, and uh, Lando Calrissian, I think he's in there, and the Joker, that, of course, that original yeah, yeah. character, and uh, yeah, I know what you mean. 
Um, but I don't know. It's it just sounds. It sounds like the kind of thing we're going to end up covering on uh, <laughs> on Almost a future episode. To me. Almost certainly. Do you think, as an artist, is it easier or harder to draw Lego characters? Like you're not having to do complicated joints, but also limits. You know what you can. Uh, how do you throw a punch with a with a C shaped hand? <laughs> it's just all open palm slaps. I don't know. Lego um, pimps. <laughs> I'm not sure what to expect from a Lego comic with Skybound, but oh, does this mean we can get like Lego Walking Dead? Uh, yeah, I mean that's 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 the right way around. Start giving Lego image properties. <laughs> oh man, Lego Walking Dead, Lego Saga, Lego Descender. That makes good mm. sense. I need me a Lego Driller. Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, actually, this is this is working out for me now. This actually, I'm gonna, oh, I'm gonna use this as a transition. You're gonna have a great time. Did you hear the story that you know, um, the White Stripes released um, "Fell in Love with a Girl," and sure. the music video is all Lego. Mm. Apparently, they approached Lego beforehand and wanted the single to come with a little box of Lego, and so that you could build your own little Lego Jack and Meg White, and Lego were like. Absolutely not, no. And then the single was so successful that apparently they called the label up and like, yeah, okay, maybe we could do that. And Jack White's like, no, we're good. <laughs> we've got, we've gone with Duplo. <laughs> oh god, giant Duplo Meg Whites. Um, but my connection here is for for today we will be discussing Little Bird, which of course, two thousand album Distill. Track three, White Stripes, is Little Bird. That is a good connection. I'm not a um, I'm not a White Stripes fan, so outside of the the recognised hits, uh, it's lost on me. I'm afraid. All, all I know is that every single White Stripes album had to have a song on it that was Little Something. So oh. apparently, that was like one of the numerous eccentricities of Jack White is that everything had to have. Good. It's a shame it didn't. You know, make his music better. <laughs> harsh, but <laughs> yeah, that was a bit harsh. Sorry, Jack. It, yeah, Jack, if you're out there and we're listening, you know, sorry. sorry. I, I have my suspicions. He's not though. But no, he's too too wealthy. It's too rich for podcasts. <laughs> so pretty sure that's what that is. Um... So little bird. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's back on track. Just a little bit. Um, do you want to tackle the intro for this one, or do you want me to say some words? Uh, I'll go ahead. I look forward so, to it. Uh, Little Bird from Image Comics, written by Darcy Van Polgeest. I'm hitting with. Uh, arted by Ian Bertram, uh, colours by Matt Hollingsworth, letters by Aditya Bidikar, and designs by Ben Didier. Nailed it. Uh, I wanted to talk about this book because it felt like when I read it, it was by far and a long way one of the best books of the year that it came out. That year being, well, I've got 2019 here, but that might have been the hardback that I've got. Uh, I think the hardback was the first edition, so I think um, 
singles are probably 2019, tail end of 2018. So yeah, I think I think you're right. And uh, but it just really really stood out to me as a top tier bit of comics. And on my this is my second read through now, mm-hmm. and I think it might have moved up into sort of like all time top comics category for me. I think it's I think it's pretty great comics. Um. Yes, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you on that. I think this is a really good, interesting, like, five-issue series. Um, I think, I can't imagine reading this in singles. I've read this twice in trade form, and I can't imagine going back. <laughs> if, um... No, it's something I think that, that begs to be read in, in sort of one or two sit-ins. Yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I read... I read four issues last night and then one issue today, and I'm kind of annoyed at myself for not powering through it all last night. Did you do like one, three, four, and five, and then read two this morning? <laughs> How did, did you just... know? Yeah, of course. You know, that's, that's the best way to miss out like some of the development stuff and then learn the twists. <laughs> learn it as if it was a twist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's how I that's recommend it. reading all comics. <laughs> Backwards. Uh, yes Um, but this book is uh, broadly about the empire of America um, crushing the kind of final remnants of of the resistance in Canada yes and America have become a under the leadership of a particular bishop, have become a very like uh, Christian religious society built completely around the religion. And Canada, at least from what we see, appears to be one of the last few bastions of not that. Um, Fair, yeah. <laughs> but at the beginning, they are sort of decimated, and the only remainder is Little Bird. And it's her mission to go and find. Uh, acts an old hero of the resistance and sort of reignite the resistance and along the way you get lots of twists and turns about different characters and who they are and what their histories were uh it's extraordinarily violent like i'm surprised i'm surprised there's anybody left to enjoy the resistance because so many of them die so quickly in this book (laughs) um yeah, you're kind of right. I, uh, it it's a very slim number of survivors. Yeah, um, eight people are like woo. <laughs> I suppose at this point we should point out there will be spoilers. <laughs> um, yes, indeed. I I just want to head this off by saying I don't know what your thoughts are, but honestly, this is the most mat of books. And I don't think Matt's read it. That that seems wild, because, yeah, I think Matt would adore this. Um, it has an art style that I think he would be super into. Uh, it reminded me quite a bit of, like, Mobius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. European sci-fi art. It was very epic, and a lot of the technology is, like, biology-based. Yeah, there's a kind of creepy organicness to a lot of the things. Everything seems to just be made of intestines. 
Um, I'm deeply unhappy with that sentence. Thank you, Will. But including sort of the insides of everybody as well. There's a point where a man gets chopped in half with an axe and his insides are just just intestines, they're just sort of sausage links in, in ketchup. There's also a scene where we see like the little... I don't know how to describe them. There's these little bald robot dudes who pop open and have like all claws and nightmare weapons. And their insides appear to be entirely intestine based. Yeah. It's not, weird, but not a fan of that. I really like it as an aesthetic. Like it's it's really unsettling and kind of gross. Um but in that James Stoko kind of fleshy way, again, another reason Matt would yeah, would be super into it. It has that. I think this is kind of James Stokoe by way of uh, Frank Quitely. Dealing my uh, notes, goddammit. <laughs> Get, getting in early doors. Because the bishop, mm-hmm. he's just Lex Luthor from All-Star Superman, isn't he? A bit thinner. Yeah, but, but that's, that's who he is. Um, I don't think there's any, like disguising that okay he starts off with a bit of hair and then shaves his head as he describes it as what like a dawning of a new era and changes to just dressing entirely in white and having a shaved head and being lex Luthor. yeah um <laughs> and yeah it was um yeah frank quietly and james stokoe are the two kind of touchstones i had so you've ruined that thanks will and uh, but i added mobius so you yeah, added fun. Mobius, yeah. Congrats. <laughs> <laughs> but there are almost no straight lines at all. Everything is sort of wavy and wonky. You know, there's the occasional sword or something. But I think, Yeah, and I think we get, like, very squared-off buildings when we're in, like, the New Vatican. But Sure, there's sort of, yeah, high-technology Christian society, which, um, again, we've already announced spoilers, haven't we? There's a, a kind of plague running rampant in there in in the New Vatican in the city um, that affects the bishop's son Gabriel. as well as as well as every uh, Gabriel thank you as well as everybody else. We never really find out what that's all about, do we? No, we we know that the bishop's okay though, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, seemingly unaffected by that. But yeah, it's um, it doesn't seem good for anyone else. It seems to be giving them loads of kind of weird red growths. Yeah. Um, again, not a fan of uh, just creeps me out <laughs> quite a lot. Um, but yeah, uh, Gabriel does not seem like a well boy. No, no. Um, but it, it's also it's got lots and lots of history of things that happened before this story, and I think mm. it does a really good job of pacing that out throughout the book. So as we yeah. sort of find out, there's been a period of human sort of genetic modification and one of the things that's resulted in is the resurrection gene where uh axe and seemingly anybody in his family line mm-hmm. just just can't die i am um, well, they, well they can eventually yeah they but. can eventually die but you have to do a pretty good job it's kind of like the killing a vampire thing where it's not enough to just do one thing you've got to properly kill that yeah um one of the things I will say is the resurrection gene. And this is something I always mean to bring up and never do. If you, I, I think you can hang an entire narrative, an entire plot. If you can find the right words in the right order to have something like the resurrection gene. Yeah. It, oh, it, it just sounds so 
undisputedly cool that it's then like, hey, whatever you want to do, whatever that means, run with it. I'm in. I yeah. There are a couple <laughs> of things like that. I think a few things that are just have iconic. I don't know, Arkham Asylum. Yeah, just has a kind of ring to it that it immediately makes it feel more real than it deserves just by having a, a yeah lovely sounding name and um yeah the resurrection gene it just sounds good falls straight into that um but even there's a, a scavenger ship and a sort of set of scavenger characters we meet later on and that just looks like a sort of big ball of flesh with satellite mm. dishes stuck to it it's even got a little bit of hair on the top just the uh the technology is is weird, but I really really enjoyed the aesthetic of it. it. It is that yeah organic technology feel, and when we see like so basically the New Vatican have a army of twelve. That's a, that's what they're called, the army yeah. of twelve. Who twelve? Their aesthetic is that they're these like featureless, like almost like ring wraith esque monolithic giants but then you'll get this little like viewing portal where their face should be and man it's just a whole mass of goo with some eyes floating around and i i don't know how to feel about that oh they're horrifying but i really (laughs) loved it (laughs) (laughs) and i kind of feel like that's horrifying but cool is like the aesthetic we've got here like when they're played I, I out as clearly the villain, I think I feel better about, you know, them being gross. It makes me feel fine when somebody chops me in half with an axe. Yes. Um, speaking of chopping people in half with axes, axe is good, isn't he? Um, Canadian Santa. I wonder, is that what Santa's like in Canada? <laughs> angry. Like, yeah. Immortal, angry, and just chopping stuff. Wielding. <laughs> I couldn't help but think, though, at times, if you start working out now and don't stop, I think by the time you're, like, 70, you could probably look like Axe. Maybe. If you start right now. Mm-hmm. It'd be a lot of work. It would, but isn't that ultimately what you were always aiming for? Being a yeah, kind of we'll... giant man with a huge axe. Yeah. I mean, that's more or less my dream. <laughs> One of the guy with my axe in hand. Um, I'm so distracted by Axe now. Um, but I think whilst Axe's character design of giant man in a Canadian flag t-shirt with a giant axe is like perfectly balanced as a design, I don't think there's a bad character design in this. There's like from like Gabriel's like Phantom of the Opera style mask. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, not full phantom. It's like a entire face mask rather than the half mask. But sort of covering his disease. Um, her mother, uh, Tantoon, Tantoo. Yeah, in full like uh, war regalia. Looks yeah, super cool with painted face. Um, and and little bird who you know has this like floor length fur coat and giant hair, and the mask goggles that kind of make her look like a bird and a little beak and her hair's made of feathers um and at least until later on in the book when she has her hair chopped off she's almost always shedding feathers 
Yes, that's true. I, th- I actually felt like closer to the end when she has her hair cut, she actually looks kind of the style she ends up with is kind of similar to those bird people from the X-Men. What are they called? Shi'ar? Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With kind of Shi'ar-esque. Like triangular hair. Yeah, for a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Doesn't last, I can't see but that. yeah. Um, another thing I realised is I didn't realise that when she... I didn't realise until the last issue that when we see her, like, a simplified version of her running around, it's basically just, like, a triangle running on its point because of the giant coat. Like, um... You know the video game Journey, where you kind of just uh-huh. float around the desert? It's that exact, like, same movement style, which I'm into. Th- it looks cool. I think that's just good character design. Like, you can reduce her to... A triangle uh, and hair. Yeah, basic shapes. I'm like, yeah, hey, I know who that is. I'm fine with that. I think it is good character design, especially as well, like, the idea that... Th- there's something about it being, like, a... I don't know, young teenage girl or maybe not even teenage girl who just spends the entire book stabbing things covered in blood, who's then kind of an adorable, like, you know, bird person running around in a giant fur coat. It's it's a really awkward balance to walk, but it kind of works. Yeah, I think it works. I think you get to know these characters in a pretty short space of time. I think the script is really good, and I think that the... There's quite a few bits of sort of inner monologue, I think, of Little Bird either talking to herself or it looks like it's written in, in like a notepad of some sort. Yeah, which we then see at the end is her like biography, I guess. Oh, <laughs> also you know biography journal. Didn't or... sort of make that connection, but you're absolutely right. Like I saw her writing at the end and just, you know, assumed just doing some doodles. Just Went into being a novelist at the end. Yeah. It's just page after page of uh, badly drawn knobs. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I did think, speaking of script and like narration, I thought there was some really good like repetition of ideas, and um, I can't remember the full thing, but the "I am the land" like mm-hmm. monologue we get a couple of times. I, you know, I'm the dream. I am the land. I am. Yeah, I am the trees. I am the. I'm, we're very close to going into that Biffy Clyro song here, and I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to not. Yeah, we- um, and free the axe, save the people, free the north, save the world, save the cheerleader, save the world. Um, <laughs> pr- pretty sure that's that was the full version, um, which I, I really like. I think if you can find things that are that strong to repeat and kind of send a very specific message about who Little Bird is and what her family kind of represent and what they're fighting for... I think that's the thing. Whilst this is a fight between, you know, a heavily Christian version of the United States versus Canada, it kind of is barely about that. I don't think it matters that it's Canada and the US. It could be, you know, England and Wales or... I agree. I think that the the countries are arbitrary. I think the fact that it's kind of built on religion is sort of arbitrary as well i think it just needs a reason for one country to in a modern era decide to become an empire yeah and it needs a near enough country that would be able to stand up against it a bit and you think well that you know sort of suits america and canada 
they call it the tri nations i wonder if that includes mexico as well but they never yeah i was really curious if that's like mexico or is it like italy and they've roped in the original vatican or i, I could, couldn't be. figure it out but i i know you know that's probably the point that there's so much speculation um but I, I agree. I think it, it's, yeah, it's not really about the religion or the countries involved. And I think it's more kind of about the exploration of like unchecked power running wild and yeah, the di- dictatorship kind of exploration. and Absolutely. I really love the aesthetic of, of how the cities are designed and how um, particularly the, is it just called Northgard? Yeah, that's um, is it Alberta, which is the Alberta desert. Because uh, Alberta is in Calgary, in Canada. If good knowledge, if my knowledge of Canada stands, um, I don't really understand how. Can I know places, and I know that there's like not quite states, but like regions. Yeah. You get like Calgary and Quebec and Manitoba. That's what. That's a good one. I like saying Manitoba. It's a nice word. Um, but equally, if it was a space opera, um, it would it would still work for me. You know, I think you could you can swap out some of those elements, and it's fine. I don't think it's even really a big attack on religion as a whole. Like at the end of the story, American Empire is still a Christian empire. Yeah, yeah. You know, that that that's not sort of been revolted against by the people it's just the bishop himself was a bad leader and a zealot mm. i don't think it's a, a i don't think it's an attack on religion or a message that religion is is intrinsically a bad thing but i do think it uses it to explain why like this war has been going on yeah i think that's entirely fair i think it's the bishop is the problem and even his motives at times aren't entirely okay. No, his motives all the time are pretty much entirely evil. But um, you can see that a lot of what he's doing is to try and protect his son, but mm-hmm. or save his son. But then it kind of begs the question: if he hadn't stolen uh, Tantu away and then stolen Gabriel away, and if he hadn't kept, if he hadn't consistently stolen children. <laughs> Would, then Gabe, would Gabriel have even been unwell? Because he wouldn't have been. Exp- he would have been off in Canada. And mm-hmm. again, so- we don't know what's caused the, this sort of plague. We don't know why, because it seems the only cure appears to be the resurrection gene. Just keep like, saying it. It's good. Yeah. It's good words. Resurrection gene Hackman, and it's uh, and name problem solved. So, so it sort of suggests that it's it's not a normal disease like it's a some sort of new plague but all the all the way along he's dropping hints about that he wants the resurrection gene and there is also a reverend mother who isn't quite as evil but is definitely like his lackey lives inside this weird bubble with some fluid in the bottom that sloshes about and she's also made of intestines we assume Um, (laughs) also it's weird because she seems like the bishop's lackey but there are also times where he complains about having to answer to her and the council 
which then kind of begs the question, but we never see the council. Is there a council? Is I'm kind of curious because I feel like we. Yeah, I kind of got the impression there is, and I think I think this kind of American Empire thing is only happening in the in the land of sort of North America and maybe South America as well. Mm. But I get the impression that this is the first time that it's taken over in this way. And that the Bishop is the kind of reason for that. Yeah. Uh, the council are backing him all the way, but from a distance and that he sees himself as the ultimate leader, but actually he does answer to someone, someone somewhere. Yeah. I mean, he is he only a Bishop. Care. So obviously there are, at least if yeah. we're under like a traditional like backdrop, there are levels above that. Yeah. But I guess it didn't bother me that the history isn't completely explained. I think you get enough for this story. And I think because of the way it's written, and it's in times quite like literary, mm. uh, I think the way it's written is quite, there's a sort of often very nice prose. And it makes it feel like the events are important and it makes the stakes feel important. Yes, definitely. And I like that we kind of get our history lessons in a series of flashbacks. Like every time little bird dies, um, she kind of, you know, gets a little bit of history from her mother and which helps us fill in the gaps. And we also see like Axe's memories at times and, I think it plays nicely, particularly with Little Bird, it plays in nicely with illustrating like what happens when you're dead if you've got the resurrection gene. Um, which kind of reminded me of that Eternal Warrior run where Gilad dies and then he goes to his happy afterlife and has to decide if he's going to stick there or if he wants to come back and save the world again. It kind of had a similar, similar feeling to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Um, I've read one issue of Wolverine where kind of the same thing happens as well, but I don't think it's a common show for for old Logan. I think he just tends to pop back. Yeah, it seems to be whatever the writer wants with uh, Wolverine, (laughs) I think. Uh, However they choose to depict that, which I guess that's, you know, that's Marvel Comics for you. Um, Man, there's a lot of good stuff about this. Um, I, I agree with what you're saying, though. I think... The, the kind of unexplored history and just telling us what we what is like important to the story is a really nice way of approaching it and does give it that kind of, as you've mentioned, like space operas before, it gives us that kind of Star Wars feeling where maybe there's a lot of unanswered questions. And obviously, you know, prequels and Rogue One and all these things have filled in all the background now for Star Wars. But it's kind of nice to be told like, Hey, there's this huge rich universe that you're in now and you're not going to know everything about it. And that's, that's just life. We don't know everything about the world we really live in. No. And I hope, I mean, this is called book one and it leaves off in such a way that suggests there will be more. Yeah. And I've not, I've not heard anything. It's only been, we're only what, two years away from its kind of original release. And if they're going to drop another, like, five issues, I don't mind if they decide to do it all at once. I'll buy another hardback of this. If if mem- So I, I tried to make notes on this, but couldn't find what I read last year. There was meant to be a sequel coming out last year, and I've definitely written the wrong word down here because I've written Precocious Metal. 
And I'm pretty sure it's meant to be called Precious Metal. (laughs) (laughs) I hope it's Precocious Metal. Um, But I stand by Precocious Metal, um, which was meant to be last year and was delayed from the due to the pandemic as all things were and i think it's meant to be back on schedule to come out this year so soon hopefully great it's i think i've read a lot of really high quality comics over the last couple of years Mm. but this this just seems to fit that bill of like an old timer i think this will it is so unique. I mean, not necessarily in plot, as you've said, it's Empire and Rebellion, so there's plenty of Star Wars in there. Yeah. Other elements of sort of fantasy and, and space opera and, and all that business and uh, and religion and resurrection and, you know, but it looks incredibly uh, individual. It's such a compelling story and set of characters. It's really, really well paced. I think that's... Yeah, that's true over the course of five issues, it really like fills you in and it never, before I reread it, I was thinking back over the bits. I remembered the bits that stood out and I just couldn't remember any dead weight, any bit that isn't either interesting or important or exciting. Yeah, I think that's true. I think, um, even things that feel kind of borderline unimportant to the overall story, uh, I think are like, really good so we get the uh is it the northern guard penitentiary where axes and, and we get glimpses of one of the like security guards who's like t- i think he's just named as t75 who's just this guy who's got like a robot arms attachments for opening the doors and stuff like that um who manages to have like a whole story arc in like 10 pages where he's talking to the computer and he's like 20 years and this is my last shift you know i can't wait to wrap this up and then you know obviously a little bird comes stomping in and frees a giant man with an axe and yeah he obviously you know dies horribly and he's just like with my last day as well he's got a real kind of classic like you know i'm too old for this shit kind of vibe to it and i feel like yeah, him him getting a full story arc in like I don't know ten pages or less really works and kind of explains that there are like little people just trying to live their lives amongst this huge not even religious, but just amongst this war that's going on. Which is yeah. also it gives us a chance for like Matt Hollingworth to go in a completely different direction with his colouring, because he manages to do the whole, like, um, colour design and colour palette for the prison. is like, kind of neon... Mm-hmm. Neon pastel? That's a contradiction. But, like... I, I mean, know. making the um, All-Star Superman connection. Yes. The, the colouring at this bit reminds me a lot of that. And when there are... Is it Professor Quantum? Is that what that guy's called? Leo Quintum. Leo Quintum. Quintum, I think he's, yeah. Whatever. But it reminded me of that, like, that sort of colouring and that, I guess, design of, I don't know how to describe it, almost like gonzo technology. You know, everything seems overly uh, overly designed to have too many sort of moving parts and tubes and stuff. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And we, we get a little glimpse of... When Little Bird gets the axe, we get a glimpse of all these other random weird 
organic looking weapons i can't find the page now um yeah of all these other weird creepy looking weapons and i i really wish we got a little bit of insight into some of that it's exactly what they did i feel like if this was like a brandon graham book he would have exploded out that and had loads of lines explaining what everything was with words that ultimately mean nothing just with qr codes you can scan to entire web pages of info one thing i got from uh from our boy t75 i don't know if you pick pick this up i only got it from two particular bits of text but i think he's a canadian who sided with america Yes, yeah, I think you could be right. I get it in two bits. His first line is, have a good one, eh? And I'm immediately okay. thinking, yeah, this, yeah. Guy, this guy's Canadian. And then when Little Bird finally catches up with him, she says, traitor. Okay, yeah, I hadn't put enough thought into that, but I, I think you could be right. From those two bits, I kind of figured that, as you say, it's a story about like a little guy existing in this world, but also somebody who ultimately sided with the enemy. Yeah, 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 I think you're right. Um, also, and I feel like I have to... This, I really... We've talked about a lot of violence, but um, T75 is sliced in half by axe. That's how he dies. Like, th- straight through the head. And what really got me is, like, absurd detail is... We then see a panel of his body lying in the distance where most of the time he would have been cut clean in half, but not in Little Bird. No, no. He's just like... Just sort of down to the navel. Yeah. not it, it, it's, it's the fact that it's like super violent, but Axe doesn't go too far. No. <laughs> have you in just a little bit. <laughs> have you ever read any Headlopper? Um, I've read the first volume, but not continued. I definitely should. Oh, absolutely. It's it's excellent. But this reminds me of just like a hyper-detailed version of Headlopper, like an old man with a big white beard just lopping things in half. And uh, You're not wrong. I got a vibe, but this is like hyper-detailed version of what is otherwise a quite cartoony fancy. There's definitely some truth to that, yeah. Um, I think I could easily see the like axe crossing over into Headlopper for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you've already mentioned it, but uh, it's worth mentioning more than once that the like the colouring from uh, Matt Hollingsworth um, it makes some some images. It absolutely makes some parts of it, mm. and the, the shading in which is done. I mean, like I say, there's very few straight edges in this book. Everything's very round. Yeah. You get a lot of images of um, like cloudscapes and things, and they feel so like dense you know they feel like they occupy space and uh, i think that comes down a lot to just how it's been shaded and colored i i agree i think the coloring adds a lot to the artwork don't get me wrong i think ian bertram kills it throughout but the the overall depth of it all i think is mm. largely in the coloring i also had a moment in this where i think i'm becoming angela where i was at one point, read a speech bubble and thought, wait a minute, is this a ditchy bit of car? <laughs> <laughs> and it, it is. Um, it is. Who we've covered a few times with Graffiti's Wall and... Okay, I'm not going to remember all the books, but he's he's lettered 
quite a few books we've discussed this year or reviewed for the site or whatever. Um, it's a real good letter, I think. Yeah, I've got to admit, I've not caught up to Angela's level of like recognition <laughs> of letterers. Um, but yeah, I think I, I think it's been a long time discussed, really. But I think letterers and colorists deserve uh, more credit. Yeah, don't get don't get a lot of shout out for what they do. And even in in big two, you know, I think inkers get often a bit of a short shrift. Yeah, that's true. Happens and, less in in sort of Indian creator owned, I think, because the artists tend to ink their own work. But mm. still, you know, like I think an inker can make quite a big difference to the end product. Yeah, you're definitely right. What I liked about this as well is in the back matter, kind of everybody gets their own. Everybody gets a couple of pages to talk about their process. They like focus on, I think it's five pages from the last issue or ten. I don't know. It's pages yeah. from the last issue and. Um, so, uh, Darcy, Ian, Matt, Aditya, Ben, all get a little bit to cover what they've done. And I think it's, it's interesting to see a breakdown from everyone. I think quite a lot we get, you know, examples from the scripts or character design work, but it's nice to get two pages of Aditya Bidakar talking about lettering and it's, it's nice detail as back matter goes. I like back matter when it's good. Yeah, yeah, I enjoy. I kind of just enjoy. Like, I feel like it's just a, a matter of value. Yeah, just having those few more pages. But it did point out some things. Like, there's a good bit about the repetition of, um, like eyes, the images of yeah. people staring straight at straight through the panel, and it's different characters throughout. But um, I think Aditya Bidakar talks about where where he wanted the kind of panels to, uh, the, the bubbles to end up within the panels and kind of get the same repetition every time mm. so that when the art was repeated, the, uh, the the speech bubbles were kind of repeated in the same way. Which is a nice detail. That... When, when you start to get that kind of synergy between different creators, I think that's what really makes a great book is just when everybody's pulling in the same direction to a particular focus i mean have you had to look at the the variant covers at the back yes um oh one God, of which is james harron right who's the ultra mega artist at the moment yeah yeah and you can see it as well Very also fleshy. ultra mega writer just um, the ultra mega man if you <laughs> let's not call him the ultra mega man that's insane <laughs> but, uh... the uh the tradmore version as well i think is just yeah is real just, nice. That's just good, good pictures right there. Um, but yeah, variant covers are good. Um, I, I just think, as a creative team, because the the A covers as well that we get as like chapter breaks are really high quality as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, and man, it's just a good book. I also like uh, so Ben Didier who did all the little like, um. I don't know why I've said all the little because they're not that little um, icons that break up the chapters. So you got like the feather and the axe and Oki the owl, and then plants, <laughs> plants and fire. Obviously, because fire is one of the themes here. You know, You're the consuming uh, nature of fire. 
Thank you. Uh, we also see a version of the logo he did in the kind of back matter pages that can only be described as death metal esque. Oh yeah, yeah. It's got that like black metal style, very pointy, pointy writing. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I'm not against it, and I can totally see that it could have worked. But they went the final logo is a little bit more like. I don't know, elegant and, like, streamlined, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can kind of get where he was going with the whole roots. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. I can I can see the idea, but... Let me ask you a question. The person at the very end of the book... Yes. The first time through, I thought was Little Bird... Yes. But I actually think it might be her mother. Yeah, I think you could be right. I'm I'm not entirely sure, but it was the fact that we see that little bird a page earlier mm-hmm. or two pages earlier. Um and whilst it's the same clothing, it's like the scarred face and the kind of white pupils made me think that yeah, maybe it's just looks a lot older and the fact that she says like the child has arrived makes me think is this like but she does have the mask yeah so i'm not sure or is this a flashback to before everything or is it the future because they said also within the like death realm you can also see what's to come so maybe it is little bird but of the future maybe because she's seeing it through the sausages through the intestines which is a hallmark of the magic land now i now i talk about it, i realize how vague a lot of this book is but it definitely didn't bother me while reading it, it doesn't bother me now i to be fair I, I do think kind of a trademark of like fantasy stories is often the ability to be quite vague yeah yeah i think it needs an internal logic and it, and it has that it never becomes silly. It never sort of nothing. Also, nothing feels um, Deus Ex Machina. Everything feels like earned. You know, all of the, the the scavenger team are basically introduced just so that the captain can have a a short redemption arc. Yeah, that's true. And he is he just Sarge? Is that the name we we'll get for him? Yeah, Sarge. Uh, Sarge Maxwell Weaver. I think he screams as he drives his his bomb vehicle into a city. Yeah, he um hard to say that and him not sound like a bad guy. Well, <laughs> it's a bad city. So true, it's a bad city. Um yeah, Sarge's arc, he he has some great moments when he hits like the um I don't know, Davenport, I can't remember what rank he is, but he he hits the guy who's he's kind of Capture, so he captures Axe on behalf of the New Vatican, and then when he's after he's been paid off, basically immediately turns on the New Vatican in a kind of classic bounty hunter kind of swerve. And I kind of like that. Yeah, his his redemption arc is then a very like ah, you know, remember I did this for the resistance. Yeah, he made it. He made it right in the end. Uh, he's a reverend, anyway. Uh, reverend Davenport. Reverend Davenport seems obvious when you say it out loud. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not sure if I've got much more to 
add to that that isn't sort of I know we spoiled bits of it, but there are other bits that we've concealed nicely. Not not got into. Um, maybe good to leave it like that. But yeah, uh, it just it really stood out to me. It, although we've named all of the influences that it's probably had and clearly reminded us of, mm. it still just sits out as so memorable and individual for me. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and I think. For anyone who hasn't read this, I'd definitely recommend checking it out. Um, the first issue is free through Image's website, as so many first issues are. Um, and it's a long got, first issue. It's like 50 pages at least. I think so, yeah. It's a good old chunk. I mean, if you've got the resources and can find it, it's a really nice hardback. Yeah, I um, I know there's a paperback version of it as well, but I'm real glad I got the hardback. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I actually specifically bought this from OK Comics in Leeds because you get a kind of nice print with it, which I um, don't know what I've done with that print, but it's definitely somewhere in my home. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Little Bird I, is, is definitely something I think more people should check out. It's got just a, a lot to unpack. And whilst we've talked about it, and as Will has said, spoiled quite a lot of it, I think... There's still a lot to learn that we haven't touched. We could talk about this book for a long, long time. Oh, absolutely. There's a lot to learn, but you'll get so much out of the art and how it plays out. Yeah. That, yeah, you might know a bit of the plot now, but it doesn't matter. And it's it's just such a good creative team. <laughs> I think that's... Well, uh, Darcy Van Polgeest... I think he has nailed it. And I think there are a lot of people who have come from other creative backgrounds and haven't, haven't understood what comics are and like how Mm. they read and what the flow is and what the sort of expectations of your audience are. Yeah. And he talks in like the back matter about, you know, learning on the job and it's, it really doesn't come across that way. It comes across as just a really well-realized world and premise. I think this might again be part of that idea that the team are just working together so well. And the other names are people who are, you know, well-versed comics people. Yeah, that's true. Maybe not necessarily in writing positions, but I'm sure they can sort of say, yeah, nobody's going to like that. (laughs) No, nobody's going to read that. That's true, yeah, you know. Cut as many people in half as you want, but that's too far. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I agree, and I think um, just a really good book. And and whilst, yeah, whilst it is about a, you know, massive kind of religious war, I think that's almost beside the point, and there's a lot more about, like, identity and heritage and work, big words like that. Um, yeah. Freedom. <laughs> um. So yeah, I um, I feel like this has been quite a brief one, but perhaps so. I think it's uh, it's difficult when we both agree. I think so strongly. Uh, it's essentially yes. one of us offering opinion and the other one saying yes, yes, I think agreed. Yeah, <laughs> <Which> <laughs> makes it a bit trickier to to stretch them out. At least we're self aware. Yeah, at least we know we're doing it. Um. 
but yeah, no, I think it was worth having the chat about because it's a book that I think deserves some uh, attention, to be honest. And maybe it's a choice of the creators themselves not to, but with a lot of different things being made into films and television shows, mm. um, you might need to go in with some budget to make this look right. But I think you've got yourself a pre-built world. Like, a pre-built film. Yeah. I think this this feels like it could be over the a runtime of sort of two hours. Yeah, quite comfortably. And, and you could um, get all these beats in. I, th- I think what interests me the most is whilst allegedly we are getting a sequel this year, or I don't know, at some point, I feel like this works perfectly well as a standalone volume. And yeah, I, I don't necessarily need more, but I, I'm going to be checking it out if we get more. I think that's it's the difference between a dissatisfying cliffhanger where the person writing it knows they're making more, mm-hmm. so it's just purposefully leaving you without information. Yeah. And then the satisfying cliffhanger where they're clearly not sure like whether they should or whether they will get the opportunity to make more. Mm-hmm. So it is in and of itself a lovely like self-contained story, but there's just a like a, just enough room to say, "Yeah, but we could do, you know. There's there's yeah. more." That could be said yeah which, no i think which is nice I, I like it when a story isn't necessarily i think both of us do when when things are built and they can be a single volume and there isn't necessarily this assumption that there's going to be more mm-hmm. sometimes a story is it, it doesn't have enough depth to be more than that mm-hmm. and the mistake i think people make is when they have a popular thing is that they try and make that story go over two, three, four volumes. And yeah, a lot of the times it just isn't strong enough. And something that starts really, really strong just sort of peters out rather mm. than, you know, just existing, being good. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I think you're very right. Well, this is just us agreeing with each other. Chris. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I am. Um, I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye out for Little Bird Volume 2 and anything else from uh, Darcy Van Paul Geest. Yeah. Um, yeah. I hope he does more comics work and it's not just a one-off because uh, yes. it's, it's real good stuff. It is. It is real good stuff. I agree with you. Shockingly. <laughs> so on that, you know, <laughs> agreeable note, I think that might be the end of this episode. I disagree. I think it's the end of the episode. Oh, wait. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we've been Will and Zach. This has been Bigger Than Capes. And remember that comics are bigger than capes. Bigger than capes. That wasn't terrible. (laughs) 